Radio Primavera Sound, powered by SEAT. Welcome to the Weekly Review radio show where two grown parents try to make sense of a world in chaos and eruptions by analyzing pop culture with the help of what Jesus Jones would call an international bright young thing. Obviously, she's a person, not a thing, but the pop cultural <laughs> reference wouldn't work otherwise. <laughs> The fact that I've dropped an early 90s reference with the hope of sounding edgy ties in with what our cherished Marvai Verdu shall bring to the table discussion today. Are you, dear listener, familiar with the term chugi? Hmm? Well, Mar will Marsplain. We will also discuss how privilege has been a main driving theme in some of the current popular TV shows on the platforms. We have an interview with the man who knows how to age gracefully, Damon Albarn. I'm so chuggy. And, of course, our album of the week could be no other than Lil Nas X's Montero. Brace yourselves for an hour of chit-chat after a snippet of the latest from Sri Lankan Swiss singer Priya Raghu, who plays Primavera Sound 2022. What a rhyme. We are Ben Cardieu, Marvai Verdu, rhyming again, and speaking, <laughs> Johan Wald, killing the rhyme. <laughs> If you've been keeping up to date with Platform TV's trending shows, you've probably seen or heard about The White Lotus, about a Hawaiian luxury resort and a few of its hideous guests and poor mm, disgraced workers. The show is a balance of comedy drama and it became a bit of a sleeper hit in the sense of having moderate promotion and became very much talked about. Have y'all seen it? Oh my God. What have you thought of The White Lotus? I mean, it was just, it, it was, I devoured it, basically. Mm. It was, it, it just so happened I was home alone for a couple of days and I had this space in, in my schedule for, for a TV show. And it, it really was, I haven't done this in ages where you're just like, should I watch one more? Yeah. You know, you're like, yeah. and suddenly you're like three episodes and you're like, oh my God, there's only six. And it wasn't, it's just, I thought it was just absolutely brilliant. Like, one thing that makes a really good TV show for me is when you're thinking like, who's my favourite character? And you can't quite work mm-hmm. it out. Because yeah. you're like, well, that one's great. Ah, oh, but that one's also great. Ah, oh, but that one, you know, and, and White Lotus absolutely did that. As I went through that, um, I was wondering to myself, like, who who, who are my favourites? And it, it kept on changing. It kept, I mean, who are your favourites? Let me... Um. Well, obviously, Jennifer Coolidge. Coolidge. Jennifer I, Coolidge. I, I just love her. Whatever she does, whatever she says, whatever she wants, I, I will just be there admiring her so obviously that's a top for me also the teenager woke thing yeah. that Sydney oh the two teenagers yeah, were so, I love that. Was so good yeah they were really funny because the two teenagers serve as a way to you know it they're arguing with their parents because they're the parents are obviously always saying very cringy things <laughs> because they represent the typical super white percent rich americans who kind of are very cynical about other people's woes and the daughters who are no I think you, there's a shot where they're both reading I think one of them's reading oh their book choices yeah, they're reading the things like Nietzsche <laughs> and stuff and yeah. you just like, what are you really reading that <laughs> Paula, Paula and Olivia I just remember yeah. yeah and their faces are just amazing yeah. they have these 
like the the way they pull faces like superficially smiling and just just yeah. like oh it, it's it's so amazingly good and Armand of course Armand yeah Armand the hotel manager Armand I mean he he he's wonderful he's he's a he's a wonderful character in the sense of he's a lot of fun he gets into a lot of trouble and he has to be keeping a smile it's because I've seen this in in I always oh. look at I, I, I've seen hotel managers yeah. and stuff when when when. I won't mention the place because yeah, I'll get on, into trouble. But it's here in Barcelona. But when you hear the woes of the people, like, oh, it's because I think the ice melts really quickly in the cocktails and stuff. And you see the the food and beverage managers like keeping a smile, thinking, yeah, yeah, I re- I'm going to take into account all these woes that you're sharing with me because it's important that you feel uh, that everything is perfect and stuff. And you have to listen to some of the the, the shit people come up with. You know, they'll complain about. I don't know uh, the, the the design of the plates. I don't think it's really up to date with what is happening right now. It's like really, I mean, the design of the plates. I've design. never I've never stayed at a hotel posh enough to sort of complain about those kind of things. That I mean, I mean, I wouldn't have done anyway. But actually, I thought one of the interesting things is like <laughs> I I didn't I didn't love him, but I I found him very interesting with Shane, who is the the sort of young oh, the young yeah. bro. Yeah. I, I didn't love him, but I I but, thought he was acted so perfectly. But yeah. the thing is, right, he does have something to complain about because they were booked into the wrong room, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Yeah. So and I thought that was a brilliant detail because if he was just complaining about nothing, you'd be like, oh, just you know, just just forget about it. But he does like. There is that thing, that little thing. Because that's his whole thing during the whole series, like him not getting the room that he wanted when he's in one of the most luxury Mm -hmm. suites overlooking the Pacific Ocean. And it's like, mate... This is perfect, but it's like, yeah, 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 but we, my mother paid for, yeah. my mother as a honeymoon gift paid for the, the best room in the hotel. And this is apparently not the best because it doesn't have a, a the jacuzzi, the interior jacuzzi and stuff. And it's like, yeah, but the other one doesn't have the views to the ocean and stuff. And, uh, and, 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 and plus, it's like, it's not even a question of paying a bit more for that really expensive room because they are super rich it's not even money is not a problem it's just the principle so it's it's really enjoyable to watch people like suffering over these little petty yeah, things I think the, the most interesting part about this show is that the characters are not like playing out bad people like they are but it's more <laughs> intricate it's like oh yeah I, I can see these like I can see these teenagers like the girls are super annoying as well and and they go with all these discourses that maybe they don't even understand themselves or this yeah. guy he's not like being awful like saying awful stuff and, and being super mean he's just a kind of mean that you can just be functional in society and just be there and it makes you love and hate them all. I think somebody pointed out that whereas succession, which I love, is at the level of like the super incredible, ultra rich, you'll never ever get there. These the people in this are a level of privilege, which is high, certainly, but yes. it's not like unimaginable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like I I I, I could I mean, you know, maybe on your honeymoon, if someone pays, yeah. maybe you could have stayed you at that hotel. You could have been that kind of asshole. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, f- for a week. I didn't, incidentally. <laughs> but, you know, and, and so it was, it was, it was uh, kind of relatable. Yeah. A little bit, a, a little, little bit. bit. Relatable from both sides. Because, yeah, you know, yeah, we, yeah. we've worked in jobs like this. Yeah. yeah. Or, and or we've even stayed at places that are nice. Maybe not super, super what luxury. What did you complain but about, Johan? I, I've, mm, the, the food was very repetitive. <laughs> In this <laughs> it was always the same, <laughs> the samey sauces. 
<laughs> I've been I've been there. But um, but th- speaking of Jennifer Coolidge, I think this show really does put her on the she deserves some kind of mm-hmm. accolade because she's been an incredible comedic actor so many of her roles have been iconic from playing stifler's mom in the american pie sagas to the the her, the clumsy salon assistant in, yeah, legally, in blonde. legally blonde and one of my favorite characters she's played was in remember that comet sitcom two broke girls yeah, but I I didn't know she was. She plays the, the this quirky neighbor, and she has this she puts on this weird <laughs> accent that's re- you know when th- these accents that you can't stop imitating like with your friends because it's like oh, I want to get the mayonnaise. Uh, every time I get a uh, I go to reach for the jar of mayonnaise in the fridge, this Jennifer Coolidge voice comes out. Oh, the mayonnaise! Where is the mayonnaise? Um, but yes, so and and obviously here she's playing a comedic role, but she's got a really uh, strong dramatic depth to it. And what she, well, her whole angle of privilege, it's its kind of sad, no? What happens to the person that she's, she gives hope to someone who she's going to invest in? But anyway, I don't want to give too much away. It's a, it's a very fun series. And what, one of the things I think what's also great about these shows is it's so pleasant to watch because every time, every shot is either mm-hmm. around a, yeah. a beautiful design swimming pool or on the beach in this Hawaiian setting or the bedrooms. You know, it's it's really mm, comfortable to watch. Do you know, when we were at um, the Nietzsche Forum and uh, I think it was, uh, who, who was talking about White, White Lotus? That was Siwa Locatoria. They were talking about White Lotus and literally just hearing the theme tune gave, made me happy. They played just yeah, a bit of the theme I tune. I love the, like, the tune of the beginning. That's what I was going to say. It's amazing. It's, it's so, well, it was just like, oh my know. God, like, like yeah. that moment of happiness. Then I was like, <laughs> no, I am happy. I'm listening to Siwa Locatoria, but they're not going to play White Lotus. This is, this is an, another kind of thing. Like, all right, I... I Obviously, I, I tend to do this. When, I, when I've watched something and I'm really into it, I find 8,000 articles talking about it. And there were a lot of articles about it yes. because of what you said about about privilege, basically. Um, and it was a massive range. Like, there was one in the FT, uh, which basically said, oh, what a stupid portrayal this is. They're thinking mm-hmm. they're, they're portraying privileged people, but they're, they're, they're not doing it very well. And then there were lots of people saying, like, no, this is actually the perfect portrayal yeah. of, of sort of privilege in, in 2021. What did you think of that? Because obviously that's a very, um, you know, very big subject at the moment. Well, the, there's there's a part of, it's not so much privilege, it's all about the the demonization of the white male. There's a, there's a scene where the mother of the teenagers, I can't remember her <laughs> character's name, she, she tells the girls, it's like, look, take care of your little brother because he's dealing with a lot right now. He's a young, white, straight male, uh, he's 15 years old, and he's really, un- he's really unpopular in the world right now. It sucks to be a white, privileged teenage male. And the mother sort of explains it in a way that is like, you know what? She's actually right. It, 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 everything on for Gen Z, you know, on Twitter, it's like, oh, you know, the diversity up up front, and we have to do this, that, the other. It's like, yeah, yeah, but all these poor kids who are just they're just no. being kids. Okay, not poor, but pobrecito, uh, <laughs> not very much not poor. But but it's like let's 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 not forget that you know teenage people of every gender and every race uh, go through teenage misery, shall we say? And uh, you got to be careful because otherwise they end up breaking into schools with rifles and shooting all these kids up. Well, it also helps that he's a he's a very he's one of the most sort of um, sympathetic characters, yeah. isn't yeah. he? The, the the young kid, you're kind of. Um, 
you're kind of gunning for him. You yeah. know, you, you want him to do well. And so you're like, oh, well, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe he is. And they're like, no, hang on. Hang yeah. On. What, what are we, what are <laughs> he's we? He's got his life sorted. There's no way he's going to, he's going to yeah, have a bad he life. He won't have any problem to, yeah. with being unprivileged. But yeah, I think it, it did do a great job representing this kind of people. And, I don't know. I, I I maybe have to read more articles about it and see what it was lacking. But at first sight, I, I didn't see, see anything wrong. Well, one thing about the masseuse, the person who Jennifer Coolidge yeah. befriends, yeah. you know, her masseuse, is uh, one thing I read is like, look, uh, we shouldn't feel so sorry for her outcome because she's actually got a very well-paid job doing what mm -hmm. she knows is it a well -paid what to job? do. Yeah. Well, that's what they implied, that it's not a badly paid job. Uh, for a service worker who works as a masseuse in a luxury spa, if, right, if it's right. something that you've specialized in and studied, that it's not the worst. It's not the worst case scenario for that person, even though her her hopes are uplifted to have her own business. Yeah, but you know, she might. You know, th th maybe the next guests will. She, you know. But I thought the fascinating thing about that was basically, again, we don't want to give away too away, but but um, uh, she uh, befriends. Um, the the uh, I've forgotten her name the the, the woman Jennifer, Jennifer Coolidge, Coolidge. Uh, she, she befriends her and basically <sighs> Tanya that's it and basically at the end it, <laughs> she's saying oh maybe I could invest in, in in this kind of thing you're really really good at and at the end Tanya says I've realised I need to stop having people rely on me for my money and you're like that. In a way, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Because you don't want people just to run on you for, for your money. Yeah. And if you see it like, like that, it's kind of a thing. Okay. And if you see it the other side, though, it's like, oh, my God, this poor woman. She was, although she was expecting that this investment would come, she'd go to a spa, she'd have the th thing to do from someone who's got, like, loads and loads and loads of money. It's just been, been cut off. Which, again, it's like, it's quite ambiguous because it's like, well... It's your she fault probably for, yeah, for... For getting your hopes up on this kind of lottery ticket, right? Oh, and do you know what I absolutely loved? There, there was the moment when um, the the same masseuse, Belinda, who's like you know the nicest person yeah. in the whole world, and you're kind of thinking to yourself, all right. At first, you think, well, she's just being nice because she wants this investment. Then you realize, no, I think she's actually really, really nice. And Rachel, who's also really nice, yeah. who's like sort of married into this rich family, <laughs> comes to her because she's having problems. And at the end, Belinda's just had enough. And she goes, she's like, no, what? not interested. I'm not listening. You. <laughs> and it's brilliant because two yeah. of the most sympathetic yeah. characters there are, and they just kind of spark against each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, but there's another show that's also kind of deal. Yeah, it is also about privileged people dealing with their woes. Nine Perfect Strangers, starring and produced by Nicole Kidman on Amazon Prime. It's about a wellness retreat rehab center where nine strangers, nine people are put together to undergo an alternative treatment and therapy involving hallucinogenic drugs. Have you been able to catch up with this show? I haven't. I afraid. haven't either. So oh. Tell us. Johan. Yeah, tell it. Well, it's, it's, it's really good. It comes at a time when mental health is a main discussion on, on, on media and social media, and they've been very quick to write a screenplay on this. But once again, most of the characters in the show can afford to go to what is described at one point as one of the most expensive retreats for this kind of therapy. So once again, we have a show about privileged class dealing with their problems in luxury settings, where the scenery, much like White Lotus, is very pleasant to watch. It's this, 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 like Garden of Eden kind of place. Nicole Kidman repeats success, a successful turn after the undoing and big little lies. It's incredible how her transition from 
you know, Hollywood movies to television、mm-hmm. has been a breeze, and her her image hasn't faltered like other actors who are seen as downgrading when they do TV work. Well, no, no, when Nicole Kidman does it, it's like, oh yes, yes, it's it's just as premium as her movies. You know,、um, I always hated when actors turned their nose up at TV shows.、Mm-hmm. Oh, you do TV? It's like, shut up! You're an actor. You have to learn your lines,、uh, get to the set on time, know your marks, and and get the job done. You know, never mind if it's a Oscar nominated film or some soap. Opera at three in the afternoon. And may, may I just say, I love it how Reese Witherspoon has gone from being this like very big kind of film star to being someone who absolutely nails the roles of an obnoxious <laughs> yeah, person on、yeah. TV. She's amazing、yeah. at that. I'm surprised she's not even in this show.、Uh, Reese Witherspoon would have been a perfectly cast in in Nine Perfect Strangers.、Um, well,、uh, we mentioned this on on the on the Daily Show that we did、uh, last week. The, what's interesting about Nine Perfect Strangers is that. It's kind of、um, taking microdosing of LSD and you know how it's been, how it was famously used in therapy back in the 60s. Well, it's kind of there's this whole movement, and it's interesting to see how something that is counter countercultural and it's you know it's still quite a risque thing to talk about in medication. Well, well this whole thing about hallucinogenic、uh, treatments. How it's kind of worked into the show and how it'll help it be discussed more in the mainstream. I think it's it's going to be the next thing after medical marijuana. You know, like there might be plenty of advocates in the mainstream saying that look, there might be benefits to treat mental health with microdosing. The thing is, now I'm at the point where she's giving heavy doses and they're tripping their head off <laughs> their heads and things are getting dark. So maybe it won't be. It's not whitewashing、um, LSD exactly, but、uh, but it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, and the cast. It's got Michael Shannon, who is this formidable actor. He's got this angry face.、Uh, he he played the he played General Zod in the last Superman, but he's also a big indie actor. He does lots of indie movies.、Uh, ah, damn it! Now I can't remember. Well, the Shape of Water. He did the Shape of Water. He was in the Shape of Water, but that was that was a big film.、Uh, but he's done lots of indies, lots of indies. He's kind of the go-to guy. He's a serious actor.、Uh, he's the kind of guy who won't go to an Oscar ceremony. He'll stay in his Bukowski type of bar,、uh, drinking whiskey.、Uh, he's incredible to watch. Michael Shannon and Melissa McCarthy. She's always、uh, great fun, and she has a lot of chemistry with Bobby Cannavale. Really, really good. And、uh, another show that could also fit into the theme of privilege. The privileged,、uh, who are struggling with first world problems, is on the verge on Netflix. Created by Julie Delpy,、uh, an actress who indie kids love because she was always like an indie icon.、Um, it's a lot of fun. It's a bit like Lena Dunham's Girls if they'd grown up, had kids, and moved to Venice Beach. It's a comedy, highly enjoyable. Once again, beautiful settings. They all live in lovely Californian houses, and even though they seem to be struggling with relationships, motherhood, or careers. They're always really just first world woes. Strongly recommended. And are they sympathetic? That's yes. A, that's, that's this one you do. You do root for them because it's like they're they're really cool moms, and、uh, their husbands are useless, or or <laughs> their ex husbands. You know, they're all unos jetas. You know, they're all living off them.、Uh, they've got their creative crises and stuff, and 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 it's and it and it gets silly at times, kind of like Sex and the City as well. It has that kind of tone of silly comedy, but with problems that we can relate to in this room. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we drop that that beautiful beautiful、uh, theme tune?、Uh, yes, yeah. White Lotus. Let's hear it, Rob. 
Like everyone else in the world, Damon Albarn struggled with lockdown and not being able to tour, but like so many artists, he used his angst to create a beautiful body of work that became his second solo album, which borrows its title from a line in a John Clare poem, The nearer the fountain, more pure the stream flows. Apparently, the album was inspired by the awesome views outside of his home on the outskirts of Reykjavik in Iceland. We were lucky to get an interview with him, thanks to the lovely people at Pia Spain. Here's a bit from that interview. From what I understand, that view was so inspiring that you decided to turn it into music. Um, well, it had over many years been something I'd just spent hours and hours and hours just looking at and playing my piano looking out at. And I thought it'd be nice to share some uh, other musicians in that experience and see what would happen. And, and become very specific about playing the weather and the change in atmosphere and the change in light, which is so dramatic. What did that entail? Like, as in, what kind uh, of? Well, I had like, I had got, got together an ensemble with, uh, I think it was like violin, viola, cello, two double basses, three bass trombones, French horn, uh, harmonium, piano, that, yeah. And we were just, and a guitar, and Simon Tong playing guitar. Uh, and very much it was just a, a meditative process each day where we'd have certain little harmonic kind of sort of destinations, but we'd start entirely just how we felt with with change of, you know, the lifting of the uh, curtain, or, or however you want to see it. You know. I understand yeah, that, you know, as you're saying, it was inspired, this whole album was inspired by sort of the natural landscapes, this, the, like the ones you've shown me. Were you always good at stopping and taking in natural surroundings, you know, stopping to appreciate the moment you're living in? Or is it something you're getting better at with age? The latter. The title of the album is taken from a John Clare poem, uh, Love and Memory. Why this poet or this poem? Uh, the poet, I suppose, is just is is there because my mum gave me an apology when I was very when I was a teenager, and uh, it's just been a something I've had and 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 and, and read sort of fished into uh, over the years, and I suppose. It was, it was more that line that became like a mantra for me. Um, I'd taken it out of the poem many years ago and I'd just written it down and it was, by the time I came back to it it was completely divorced from the, the love and memory poem in context for me so it was something it was just this new lovely kind of sort of uh, optimistic but kind of uh, sad mantra you know and uh, that's what's led me to this record. And, and, but, and then I suppose while I was in lockdown, the actual poem became far more resonant 
in its its beautiful kind of sort of uh, melodic expression of um, loss. Or should I say harmonious expression, not melodic, harmonious expression of, of, of loss and love. And I, and I felt quite comfortable singing that as well, you know, although it was not, it's, it was something of uh, the line came before the poem, so to speak. You told um, the New Musical Express not so long ago that, um, I quote, I have been on my own dark journey while making this record and it led me to believe that a pure source might still exist. From your experience, have the dark roads led to the best creative outcomes? Um, or the most interesting creative outcomes? It's, it's, you come back, you disappeared into bureaucracy for a second, someone else's computer. Um, I think sometimes they can. I mean, they're, they're just record sort of moody records are not to be made unless you're you know what i mean no one no one wants to be feeling like that really but it's a very cathartic experience to to, to make records like that i think i mean if, you, if you're an artist you you, you you're trying to uh you know express stuff because it needs to come out it's there's a there's a a rabid compulsion to express something in a way which you can understand in the backdrop of the universe. Mm. What, when you speak of a pure source, in, in, in when you're speaking about it, what does it, what does a pure source feel like? Um, ooh, that's really hard. I can't answer that. I mean, it feels pure. <laughs> I mean, you know. But is it like when when you're in a room with musicians you trust, and all of a sudden that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, in a way, it's where it's where it's where you're you're absolutely not thinking about anything, but it's somehow there's something still happening. You know, that's yeah. that's the kind of. That's the dream, isn't it? You know, effortless flight. Do you get that on most of the recordings that you've been doing for the last years, where you're just sort oh. of flying on almost on autopilot because you're usually working with such talented musicians of all kinds, and you yourself, you know, you're a grandmaster now of song crafting and, and, and creating this wonderful energy and results in the studio. Um, do you feel like sometimes it's, it's almost become too easy? <laughs> no, it's not easy. If you take your eye off the ball for one second, it's rubbish. You know, so it's kind of absolute concentration, but sort of ascending to complete oblivion. <laughs> it's, that's if, if you if you if if that if the bottom, you know, the the entry point isn't true, then this. Um, what works best for you to keep uh, to keep your sanity after so many mad years in the world of rock and roll? <laughs> I don't think I've been in the world of rock and roll strictly for a while, but I mean, it was good while it lasted. I mean, I just. 
I don't think the world of rock and roll even um, exists like that anymore, you know. But uh, it does make me feel sometimes that I was incredibly sort of uh, lucky in many ways to grow up in the late 80s and then sort of become myself in the, in, in, in the 90s because, you know, in comparison to what my daughter has to carry with her at all times now with social media and everything and, you know, the realisation that, that nothing is forever, you know. We, we, you know, we were still singing songs like Live Forever, you know what I mean? It's like, it was a very different time. Would you ever play Oasis albums in the car when you were at any point in your life? Oh, uh, yeah, I definitely used to enjoy singing their songs. I mean, it was a very much guilty pleasure for me, but, you know, their, their, their first record was absolutely, or second, no, first record was amazing. I'm such a stan of Damon Albarn. I mean, it's like he, if he doesn't mess up, he, he just gets better with age because uh, he was really arrogant when he was young and cocky. And that was fun. When, but but you look at it back now and sometimes it's a bit cringy. But now he's he's just so cool. He's such a cool 50 year old man. What was he like <laughs> to interview? I've always wanted to. Well, he he was he. He seemed to have been giving, answering the same questions for many hours. I got him at about uh, two o'clock English time, uh, lunchtime. So he was a little bit like, uh, as you could hear, um, on just sort of responding on autopilot. But towards the end, he started to per perk up, especially when my daughter started uh, contributing her <laughs> sounds to the interview, to the Zoom interview. And that kind of uh, perked him up. He, he's got a very tender side. But... I'm, it's a shame he's cut off the mullet. He, he, he'd grown a mullet uh, out of, almost out of a joke. And I always like it when, when men do funny things to their hair because it's like they don't, give a, they don't give a toss about anything. You know, they can wear this gross haircut and, and wear it with dignity. He's very dignified. And he still has that kind of shabby... I, I read something where it's like Damon Albarn, oh, for being such a productive musician and he's he's been even way more productive than when he was with blur because he's got gorillas he's got his malian music project he still does stuff with good and the band and the queen well they released an album two years or three years ago four he made a chinese opera for crying out loud <laughs> i mean like that's yeah yeah but the the funny thing that i read is like but he he always looks like he's not far from his next siesta he's always got this kind of slouchy lazy thing but of course He's so productive and creative. It's, it's a real inspiration. Um, well, again, that's that's kind of what what I love about him. Again, it's that thing of relatability. It's like you know, I could maybe look like Damon Albarn, but like 
Could I write a Chinese opera? No, I can't. Absolutely <laughs> not. I love that's it when the only thing <laughs> that makes you not Damon Albarn. There are many things that make me not Damon Albarn, but that is that is one of the the, the really big ones. I, I mean, imagine that dealing with translators, dancers, and all these acrobats from China, and and dealing with the bureaucracy of having to put on a sh- an opera in one of these in, uh, theatrical institutions. You know, where because apparently he had a lot of backlash from you know purists of opera and stuff and you have to deal with all that aggro when he looks like the kind of guy who first of all he, he doesn't need to take any aggro from anyone he's been so successful for so many years like money wise he doesn't need to do anything out of necessity he does it out of um, artistry out of creative whims anyway speaking of creative oh sorry did you want to add anything i was i just wish you had asked him about little nas x I mean, obviously, because that would have been an amazing yeah, link to what we're talking about next. But also because like, I'd love to know what he thinks about that. Well, I did ask him for a backstage quote that we will release for our backstage section on our social media. And he and it had to do with Usher. And I asked him, oh, would you be interested with working with Usher in Gorillas? Maybe. And he's like, well, I do really like Usher and I just haven't got around to it. So from Usher to Lil Nas X, it's, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's a, not such a distant road. It's not such a distant Old Town Road. <laughs> oh my God! Well done. <laughs> sorry, that was very. Tuned. Oh, sorry. One more Damon Albarn question. What was his What was his Zoom backdrop like? Oh, he was in the the. I think it must have been his studio, like the same one that appeared as footage of where they were making music for the last Gorillaz album, Song Song Machine. Uh, it had that red wall and loads of books and stuff, and and there was someone next to him. I guess it, his press agent or his assistant. I'm not sure. You forget how. Im- you know, he's a man, he's an important man. Like, he, he employs a lot of people on not only Gorilla's um, staff projects, you know, he must have some kind of an, an office or a company. But because he's so shabby and he always looks like he's just on his way down to the pub, mm-hmm. uh, it's like you forget that, you know, Damon Armin is a boss. <laughs> and, and, he, and he's very organized and obviously he's a family man. Uh, I, I, I love his life, you know, houses in Reykjavik, houses in Devon where he can escape, but obviously an incredibly well-designed flat, I imagine, I presume, in London where he, when he has to get all this kind of promo work done and be close to other musicians and studios. Ah, the life of Damon. Um, but yes, Lil Nas X. <laughs> I, did, I couldn't bridge it. I tried. Old Town Road. We sort of took it took it to there, and then I took it back because I just had to ask about Zoom back. Sorry, that was my. It's because you like you know we grew up being in that era of Britpop and stuff. Um, music maestro. Baby bet, hey, couple X, hey, couple Grammys on him, couple plaques, hey, that's a fact, hey. Ah, Lil Nas X has released his album after one of the most savvy promotional campaigns recently seen in pop music. It's no small feat considering this is his first album. There's a lot of competition these days and even big artists like The Weeknd or Post Malone or even Lady Gaga struggle to come up with fresh ideas to keep the attention deficit internet interested in whatever they are releasing. Also, while Old Town Road was a huge, humongous hit and broke records as the longest standing number one in the billboards and raising discussions about it being on the country charts, etc., his debut EP was a bit of a wet blanket to all the interest 
he created with the single. But then comes Montero, the perfect balance of trap, pop, and this new emo pop trap thing that defines contemporary American pop. Hook after hook, the album is great fun, introspective at times, like on his Miley Cyrus duet "Am I Dreaming," and uh, he's and he's, he's, he's. I think he could become the next Beyonce or the next Lady Gaga. Basically, the ubiquitous pop star at the top of the pyramid. What are your Okay. Well, I mean, this album's certainly going to help him do it because it's hit after hit after hit. It's such a uh, relief. I mean, we didn't talk all that much about the J Balvin album last week, but I think we can we can all say that we found it a little bit trying when we got to sort of, you know, hour, hour two. Um, because, and there was loads and loads of good stuff on there, but there was also quite a lot of, like, quite average stuff, to be honest. Um, and this was, by contrast, it was like, yeah, have a hit, another hit, and a hit in a slight, and in different styles as well. You know, mm-hmm. there's like kind of hip hop things, there's um, acoustic guitars, there's that kind of rock one towards the end. It's pretty, um, pretty incredible. Mar? He's uh, an entertainer. He has it yeah. all. He has everything I, I like about an artist, and, and the fact that there's songs in this album that I wouldn't normally listen to because it's maybe not my favorite style of music. Mm. But he's so good at what he does outside of creating music, which is amazing and stuff. But um, he's so good. I want to listen to the whole thing. And I listen in, in a way that I'm interested. Like, maybe I wouldn't have listened to this song, but I'm listening. I'm listening what you're trying to offer. And, and I'm interested. Like, give me more. I, I'm here for everything you do. Everything he does is so well thought out uh it it's so i uh, i think he's the i don't know he's the one that's doing it the best in every area of m- music not only creating songs which is the most important part but all the other one all hmm. the other parts that maybe we don't think about as much but once you see Lil Nas X doing it so perfectly not only the music videos the promotions the the live shows in in award shows and stuff and yeah. everything it, he, and the tweeting the way he bring he has his own social media and he makes such funny content i don't know yeah and it just seems like a sort of golden age, his imperial phase, where everything he does is brilliant, it's if you brilliant. see what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, you, you were talking a bit about everything that kind of goes around and the tweeting and the marketing and things like that. And um, I must confess, that sort of left me thinking like maybe the album wouldn't be, you know, that good that he'd have basically used all the creativity in that in the amazing kind of run up to it. And the fact the album was that good that actually stood up to that as well is 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 very impressive. Yeah. And I've just I just saw this morning, you know, he was performing at the BBC lounge sessions and he was just sort of singing with a backing band, you know, with a full backing band. He did a cover of the one that Miley Cyrus covered, oh, uh, Jolene. He did a cover mm-hmm. of Jolene, uh, Dolly Parton's Jolene. Wonderful. He's got a, he's got a great singing voice, like a, just a normal singing voice. So this guy, he's got such a career ahead of him. He could even like release an album of standard soul songs if he wants to like sort of exploit how a young gay black man would reinterpret like the soul iconography, American soul iconography in his way. I mean, he can do so many things with this with this with this persona that he is and i remember when eminem was thought of as controversial and he was but for being misogynistic most of the time on tracks like kim and homophobic uh, i remember when he was directing unnecessary distaste with moby 
not, not, not as a homophobic attack, just he didn't like Moby, he didn't like techno. And Moby actually suffered an attack from Eminem fans. This was in the news. So Eminem empowered incels. He was just, he, he was the next big thing in music after new metal, which was the most incel genre of all time. And then comes Eminem as, yes, the patron saint of incels. And he was provocative and everyone was talking about Eminem because he was dissing this one, dissing this one. Now we have Lil Nas X, who is the pop star who is as brave and proud uh, who is so brave and proud and and he's controversial for the right reasons you know he's raising questions he's 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 making the most streamed videos that M i'm wondering if mtv us would be able to play you know the one where he's in prison mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. for the song we just heard for industry baby where <laughs> you know there's the obviously there's the version where all the male parts are mm, is there a part where you can see the male genitalia? I think he did it like a kind of a promotion thing like an OnlyFans thing but ah! it was also like a, a kind of joke I don't remember what it was when you clicked on it but it, it you couldn't see everything obviously well it's like will will he be allowed to one day do the halftime Super Bowl show Oh, he would be an amazing oh, choice. He would be so he would yeah, be but so would, good at it. But because of this other video where they're, you know, he's making out with a guy in the locker mm -hmm. room after playing a, you know, a, a game and stuff. It's like okay, he's touching on the football thing, the American football. But would would they? Would the NFL allow? Imagine how good it would that be would if be. he like did it a sort of recreation of that, like, but like with <laughs> with the actual player. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> god. God. I mean, I'm just thinking of that part in that Borat movie where he starts making out with a guy in the middle of this. A wrestling arena in the like the the deepest south, and all these people like ah like puking because he's making out with a guy and stuff. And it's like oh, if if Lil Nas X can get to do something half as as audacious as that uh, in the halftime Super Bowl, I'm I'm voting. He's, I'm voting for him. I think we kind of maybe we forget how brave all of this is yeah. as well. Like you know, I mean, homophobic attacks are on on the up. Um, mm -hmm. We've seen some horrendous examples in in Spain recently. You know, we think we're all living in a uh, utopian, yeah, but we really, really aren't. Um, and this to actually, you know, he do, he doesn't have to do all this. He could be a sort of pop star, and he could be be gay, and he could. That, you know, yeah, stayed with the old down road kind of thing. He subtle, had, yeah, the subtle sort he, of. It's yeah, like funny, gay people know he's gay, but, but like yeah, the, the, the Walmart Karen doesn't realize it. No, doesn't pick up on it. Is that what you mean? Yeah, but he decided to go this way, and and it it was risky. Like nobody assured him it would work and it would bring to where he is, and that's the amazing part and the kind well, of dangerous. I mean, who operating in the rap world, which he kind of is, but his, his pop has done anything like this before, like to this to this kind of level. Mm -hmm. I don't think, don't think there's no, anyone. No. no, no. I mean, L Lady Gaga, Madonna have been like really, really big mainstream artists who have always used their platform for the LGBTQ communities strongly, you know, and their videos and stuff. And, and but but this this level, it's like no, no. It, he's really taken it further, and it's and and he does it with such panache. You know, it, it, it's not uh, crass. It's not, it, you know, it, it, sometimes there have been artists that maybe have done it in a way that's like, uh, you know, you're, you're, you don't forget you're dealing with the mainstream. You got to, you got to, you, you don't want parents to cover their children's eyes when the video comes up. You know, you want them to say like, oh, this is fun. This is, you know, two guys kissing in a locker room and stuff. It's, it's done with 
with fun, with with taste, with uh, well, maybe not taste, but <laughs> well, yeah, taste. Yeah, yeah. Taste. it's very yeah. David LaChapellean. You know, the the hyper colors, the yeah. shiny skin, yeah. uh, the album cover. I mean, yeah. come yeah. on, yeah. cover. Yeah. I, I I know neither of you subscribe to Apple Music like I do, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, was I saying this? I was saying this somewhere that basically they do these animated album covers yeah. and the one for Lil Nas X is lovely. It has him like floating around like that. Mm-hmm. It's quite beautiful. And as I say, the album's got introspective moments. It's not just sort of superficial pop for the mainstream mm-hmm. radio. It's got moments where, as I say, it's this kind of emo-y kind of guitar yeah. strumming, acoustic guitar strumming, dashboard confessional style, the Lil Peep, uh, uh, Young Lean kind of mm, vocal ranges. Uh, well, Dead Right Now, track number two, mm-hmm. um, which talks, yes. among other things, about having suicidal thoughts, yeah. reminded me of the Pet Shop Boys on Behaviour, when they all went very melancholy. Yeah. Ma, you do know who the Pet Shop Boys are. If you don't know who they are, I'm, I'm leaving now. Oh, so chuggy. Oh, my so God. So chuggy. She doesn't know who the Pet Shop Boys are. And there has to be a word for what the, <laughs> the Ma and her fired. generation of not knowing. and Because and, th- this no, is not... it's not my generation. <laughs> it's just me. I'm ignorant. Sorry. I want to apologize on behalf of my generation. Yeah, yeah, I think that, that, that's about right. <laughs> the Pet Shop Boys. Yes, yeah, you say Pet Shop Boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pet Shop Boys. <laughs> I, I don't know them. I don't know them. Sorry. Oh I, my god! I just don't know all the references. How is a festival what, like their name? Put- <laughs> <laughs> no, not the name. Uh, well, a life after Salem, which is a rock number, it comes like right at the end. You got like wailing guitars, and there's almost new methods. Like, what the hell is this? Guitars are coming back. They're bringing them back. You know, people like Lil Nas X. They're bringing the guitars back. Oh, and talking of uh, swagger, no uh, old Tam Road on the album. Yes, How yes, cool. that's a power move. It it's, is. It's like because even as a strategy, if you put it on, then the streaming numbers for that will yeah, yeah, mount yeah. and stuff. Oh, and but it's like, could he still? It's been like a long time could. since all that he had the EP. Like, is it allowed to put like your first single in the album like three years later or he, four? It's, it's it's some people have done it. Drake did it with uh, "You Used to Call Me on My Cell Phone." He yeah. added it on Views, and it's like it had been a while since. Um, Hotline Bling had been out and become such a hit and by the time Views came out and I think it was the last song on the album like okay I'll, so, I'll yeah, include it it's a bit of a power move as well because if you include it on the album then on streaming then basically uh, everyone who listens to it on streaming within the album it contributes to the mm. the streaming numbers yes. so just by like having that extra track on it you get like loads more listens to yeah. your album but Lil Nas X doesn't need doesn't that. Need it. That's he's like, no. Need I mean, so much confidence. And I think he is. He has such creative control over his persona. Like I, I think he has like, like every pop diva and every pop queen eras. And the era of Old Town Road is already behind him. He, he had all this cowboy theme thing, thing that also was related to the EP. And now it's just another era. It's a, a sexy. Um, I don't know, kind of fantasy world um, in which is also kind of scary because it's also like the demo when he goes down in yeah. in the in the music video of in the, it, no, it was not industry, not maybe, industry Montero. Maybe. Call me by Montero. your name. Um, it it's this kind of different kind of world like universe like marvel universe in yeah. in which it wouldn't make sense even if it got more streams and he prefers doing it so that it makes sense before making more money and that makes him even more intelligent so good so good okay right so should we have a, l- a listen to another song yes 
Two grown men losing touch like everyone else. We're in a rut, but alas, alas, we have a guiding star with her finger on the pulse. Mar! Hey, we made oh a song for you. Yeah. I I feel like I cannot say anything else. This is the best thing ever. This I I wow. I want this on repeat. I I'm not listening to songs. <laughs> we still have again. to we have to do the remix where we'll add a beat to it and stuff. But you know that's that's the that's the the crude raw theme song for your <laughs> section. And today I really need you to guide us through the. Through oh the my darkness. god, I'm lost, man. I'm. I'm so ready. I it's been a long time since I did one of my rants and <laughs> I'm back and I have renewed energy and I know we don't have that much time so I feel like I will talk even faster and and even I will try to put it all together so it makes sense because today I'm will bring you fashion, avant basic, chugginess, <laughs> overconsumption and late capitalism realness and it will all make sense in a bit, I think. Um, maybe not. But this all, this um, whole topic, this whole run that I'm coming up with, um, started because of Ben. Because yeah. a, a few days ago, Fashion. yeah, <laughs> truly, you were the one that sent me the, this article of, um, about Avon Basic and what it was, and you sent it to me the day I was wearing a Paloma wool top, the checkered one with um, yeah, black, uh, uh, blue and and brown checkered thing and it's the prime example of what oven basic is so i felt very attacked even though it was not your intention but uh, i was like yes um i know you're trying to say something to me but basically for the ones that haven't read the article which i guess it's mostly everyone that was not on the conversation with <laughs> us um um oven basic is like a micro trend that consists on this maximalist prints, patterns, colors, like mainly thinking of Paloma wool brands, if you know, yeah. um, then also House of Sunny. It's a, a, a British brand that has this very popular dress that fits a lot into the oven basic style. Mm -hmm. La Manso rings that are these chunky rings that colorful that everyone is wearing. Bimba by Lola shoes that are that with the rebranding of the brand uh, really fit into the avant basic stuff. It's like kind of what the rookie magazine teen is now wearing that now that it's not a teen anymore. So you kind of get the idea of it. But the important part today and the rant um, comes not from avant basic itself, but the idea of this being a micro trend or as someone put it, um, as an uh, it's an algorithm trend and, huh. and what that means. And, Let's backtrack because, first of all, what microtrend opposed to microtrend opposed to a macrotrend? A macrotrend would be like if we say the 80s or the 90s and we think of um, funky colors and shoulder pads in the 80s or bell bottoms in the 70s. This is a, a trend, a macrotrend, as we all understand it. It's, it's what we'll know and, and, and imagine when we think of it. But that has changed now. 
in 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 2021 the concept of macro trend is that it's uh, it's obsolete we cannot talk about it anymore because of the rise of influencer influencer culture instagram tiktok and all of this has meant such a change in the paradigm um talking about macro trends doesn't make sense anymore before um we had all these social media things constantly in, in our life trends um, were slower because they they were dictated um, fashion was dictated by celebrities by models by fashion magazines it was a very small circle that had the power to dictate what was in and what was not and seen and because of this small circle that the trend was slower it it took longer to reach this bigger audience from this um, high stand point but what is different now what why do we have uh, micro trends and algorithm fashion now <laughs> influencer <laughs> culture has made it so that not it's not only this small elite of people that has the power to say this is in, this is not regular people now have this power you can you can be an influencer or someone on tiktok that gets a lot of views yeah. and and this means that there are now thousands of hundreds of possible and potential trendsetters that that can easily reach the a bigger audience than fashion magazines can or or celebrities can and in a shorter span of time that means that it's so much faster that the that uh, that creates a lot of more trends because there are more people create that can create them so yeah. And that at first doesn't seem that bad, right? Like it's it, fashion got democratic. Everyone can be a trendsetter. That seems it's okay. Um, we're all for it, no? But no, because there's the problem that's always there, that it's Mr. Capitalism always getting in, in the middle of everything and making everything worse. Because the more, tre the more trendsetters, the more trends, and the more trends, the more you need to buy to keep up with these trends. And, and the more... Um, production and waste is created and someone that benefits of this overconsumption and this overproduction are brands so they they are super interested in in keeping up in this kind of world in which we have micro trends but isn't avant basic uh, isn't the core of us avant basic buying in humana or second hand stores so that it's all yeah you can you can feed the avant basic um, but it's also or buying thrifted and secondhand um, clothing if you're only gonna wear it for two months or yeah. three weeks um is also over over consumption even if it's not as bad as you buy yeah. it from a some fast fashion retailer but mm. it's also over consumption so it's also bad um and brands what they do is um to keep up with um these micro trends and and people buying um specific clothing that fits into this um aesthetic that is in for these weeks yes. um is they send lots of pr packages to macro and micro influencers mm. and so suddenly they uh, you wake up one day and your instagram feed is Um, flooded but mm, this specific um, piece that they sent everyone so you suddenly see um, the orange um, bean by Lola shoes everywhere and you're like okay now I want them and and the trend cycle that would normally be you see the, the, the shoes on Jennifer Aniston one day then you see them um, a couple months later similar on, on another celebrity and then you see it on Vogue and, and all this introduction phase and, and then the, the culmination and stuff happen within the span of a day the, it, the, the trend cycle gets reduced in, in, a, in a single day and that makes it 
so much faster. And obviously, if the first three steps of a trend cycle would, would be, which would be the introduction, the rise, and the um, culmination <laughs> happen within a day. Like a Jedi saga. <laughs> <laughs> that means that the two next steps, which, which would be the the decline and the obsolescence happened so much faster too because the the three the, f the first three happened within a day so the other ones are just about to come so that means that a trend that would normally be like five to ten years like five to ten years we are into bell bottoms now it's like three weeks to a month maybe if, or even days so now um and that's it. it. It's exactly what has happened with a lot of 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 pieces this this year, and and every time it's faster and faster. And I think most of the parties because of TikTok fashion, it's it cannot. I cannot stress enough how fast and um, trends go on on that app. And I have the prime example, which is the House of Sunny Green Dress, uh -huh. um, which was super super popular last year. Everyone wanted it. Everyone um, had it. Kendall Jenner wore it on her Instagram. Um, but House of Sunny, just like Paloma Wool, is kind of an independent brand, so they cannot mass produce. So you had to be waitlisted and and you had to wait and and people were selling it secondhand for like a thousand dollars when it's like a hundred, which is expensive, but it's still a lot. Um, and then fast fashion companies um, copied it and everyone had it. So now the people that were waitlisted it um, are getting it now. But what happens now? The dress is already chuggy. Oh my oh. God, not already. Yeah. Um, so, so the the what is chuggy? I'm, I'm yes, gonna yeah, yeah, quick, quick. We, have, we have two minutes, Mark. <laughs> oh my God, chuggy, the, the most important part. Um, Clear it up for us. Chuggy basically means the opposite of trendy, and it was first used um, to refer to like millennial fashion, like wearing skinny jeans now, having a side part, loving Starbucks, putting minion posts on Facebook, um, <laughs> having ads, stuff like that. Uh, like that was chuggy, but now with this freaking fast trend cycles everything that was fashion like a week ago it's not only millennial fashion anymore and 2010 fashion it's like the trend that was popular a week ago can be chuggy today and and once you get the dress that uh, that everyone loved um, a couple of weeks gets to your house once you get it uh, physically it's already chuggy and even the word chuggy is already chuggy because no, we have oh, no. <laughs> time to abuse it <laughs> I need to shame people who are older than me on the parent like, oh, you're so chuggy. And that's the problem. I feel like when we put out this episode, everything we have said will be already out outdated and will not Damon make Alban sense. Damon Albarn won't be. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he will be back into the cycle of trends because time goes that fast. And everything is uh, going outdated. What this is causing is overconsumption. We're all going to die. We're in the last stage of capitalism. Um, everything's bad. Um, nihilism is taking over. There's no solution to anything because saying that we will be able to surpass the wishing of trends and stuff like that and not have any wishes and pretending like we're some Buddhist monks that have no desires is fake. Um, and we all want that Bimba Lola shoes and that freaking Paloma <laughs> Wool top, and even though two months later I will hate it because Ben <laughs> sent me an article. No, no, I didn't mean anything. I didn't know. I didn't know. <laughs> but uh, I cannot, I cannot pretend I breached the Nirvana. I want all of these trends that I will hate in a couple months, and because of that, the world is gonna end, and everything is our fault, and we're <laughs> all gonna die, and we are doomed. That's it.
Her name's Mar, M-A-R, superstar. Her name's Mar, M-A-R, superstar. Great show. That was the <laughs> weekly review. That's all we have time for. Tune in tomorrow at 11 once again when we will be doing the weekly the weekly reviews daily edition radio formula. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Against the skin makes me want to try your on. Like life's so fun, life's so fun. Come on, mini skirt and my rollerblades on. Bag on my side cuz I'm out till dawn. Keeping it light like so sure. You're listening, You're listening to, to Radio Primavera Sound. RPS.